Nothing is more terrible than a battle won, except a battle lost. It was a terrible battle to win, but we lost so much. It doesn't look like the site of a battle now, but it was on the morning of April 11, 1986. Two FBI agents lost their lives here. The headlines told of the bloodiest gun battle in the history of the FBI. But behind the headlines, we found another story, a story of the heights of heroism and the depths of human nature. Reporters observed the carnage from here. We saw what was left after FBI agents confronted two bank robbers who were determined not to be taken alive. Four FBI agents down, two or 45. FBI agents Benjamin Grogan and Jerry Dove fell head to toe next to each other, the victims of a deadly ambush by Michael Platt, their lifeless bodies covered by a yellow cloth. The body of bank robber Platt lay outside the open door of an FBI car, shot dead when the two tried to escape in it. His partner, William Maddox, lay on the other side of the car. It was as if the street was showered with spent cartridges and weapons. Bloodstains marked the spots where the surviving agents fell. Gordon McNeil shot in the chest and hand, as if his vest and gun were the targets. Agent John Hanlon fell next to the dead agents to the rear of the car, shot while reloading his gun. Agent Ed Morales' red jacket lay in the street, his arm ripped apart by a semi-automatic rifle. The picture is different here now, but you can still hear the words and the sounds of the shootout. You'll hear the voices of the agents and eyewitnesses before, during, and after it. You'll hear calm voices recalling the incident, worried voices of residents and eyewitnesses on the 911 emergency number, and for the first time ever, you'll hear the agents' voices on their FBI radio when they were faced with a dark day in Sunnyland. Hey, attention all units, we're behind with a black vehicle, two-door, Florida license, NTJ 891. It's a black Monte Carlo, two males in it. Uh, I looked right at the driver, and he stared over at me. He looked very, very determined, and I, he wasn't afraid of me. Let's get up here and let's stop him if we have to. Uh, and we're right behind you, baby. You want to do it? Let's do it. And I looked over and crouched down on the floor between the glove compartment and the seat was Platt, and he was putting the clip into the 14. Let's try and yank that guy. Let's do it. Got any cars stop. Let's do it. After uh, all the, uh, the crashing of automobiles took place and they finally came to arrest, uh, you know, I was yelling FBI police before I got out of the car, of course, which was answered with the, uh, the shotgun blast. Gunfight going outside my office window. Shoot guns and machine guns. Of course, with the banging was tremendous over my head and whatever. I uh, I have never been so scared in my life. The whole time I was shooting, uh, Platt was firing the Mini 14 directly at me from probably probably eight to ten feet away. How he missed me, I don't know. Multiple rounds of gunfire being fired down the street. Two cars are parked. There are people screaming. At that point, I didn't feel that my uh, my Magnum revolver was uh, was in a uh, working condition. 
there was uh, there was so much blood all over the cylinder, and there was bone fragments and everything else, and I couldn't seem to close the cylinder on the weapon. There's some kind of a gunfight or something going outside my house. There's a lot of gunfight going on in here. I don't know if the police are there or not, but it's right outside my, my front door. It was that point that I spot Platt, and he just kind of had a half a smile on his face, and the guy looked like he was enjoying himself out there. And he looked directly at me, and I saw he already had the beat on him, and he started firing at me again. And at that particular point, that's when I turned to evade the, the rounds that were coming in my direction, and that's when the rounds slammed into the side of my neck and uh, actually flipped me completely around in the air. They dispatched somebody quick. They're still blowing somebody away. Yeah. One guy's dead out in the middle of the street. Oh, he's gone. Platt stood over me, and he shot me in the groin. I think actually he was hurt so bad that, you know, that was the best he could do at the time because I've always wondered after he shot me in the groin why he didn't, you know, click off a couple more and get me in the chest or the stomach or whatever. Officers down at 9.39. Okay. Morales was already down and I saw Hanlon down on the other side and I saw Dove down and then I saw him uh, him shoot Grogan and I saw Grogan go down. Of course, died uh, instantly. And and he was standing over me shooting and all the brass fell down and then when he shot Jerry in the back of the head I figured you know I'm next he's gonna shoot me in the head and that's gonna be the end of that I thought we had bought it entirely at the time, it seemed that I was the only one that was in a position to uh, to do anything immediately effective. Well, it was pretty obvious to me that uh, if they had backed the car up, which was their, the only avenue of escape, it, they would have uh, run over at least two, two or possibly three of the agents. It was uh, crunch time for uh, Ed Morales and his arms uh, half blown off and lost probably half the blood in his body and blacking out. But still, he, uh, he charges the car and, uh, and finally finishes the two of them off. Well, at the, I wouldn't call it a, a, a charge. It wasn't the charge of the light brigade or anything. It was more of a stagger. <laughs> we took the best thing they had. We killed them. Both of the bad guys are DOA. I'm afraid we've lost two agents also. You know, I heard Ben's death rattle, you know, and Jerry was laying right next to me. And, uh, you know, you don't forget that sort of thing. You know. The real heroes in this, in this incident were, were, were Ben and Jerry, um, because nothing is more precious than life, okay, anywhere in the world, okay? And if you really stop to think about it, Ben and Jerry uh, gave their lives, in essence, to, to help make Miami a better place. By noon that day, news of the bloody confrontation sent shockwaves throughout South Florida and the nation. Weeks later, it was learned that it was Platt, not Maddox, who fired 48 of the 49 rounds at the agents. Who are these two men, William Russell Maddox and Michael Platt? Outwardly, they led normal lives. They were fathers, husbands, and even churchgoers. Alleluia, 
I used to drown in my own pity. I'd look up in her eyes and say, God, what, what have I done to you, buddy, to deserve this? You take my wife from me. And then uh, one day it, it came to me. Hey, God didn't come down here and stab her 16 times and cut her throat. God didn't do that. Some bozo did, did that. And if I'm here tomorrow, praise the Lord. But if I'm not, I know where I'm going to be. I'm going to be right up there with my wife and my father. You know, we just don't think church in the morning and murder in the afternoon. We don't think in those terms. And I don't think anybody had this man figured out. Church in the morning and murder in the afternoon. The pastor of William Maddox's Riverside Baptist Church still can't believe it. Maddox's picture in the church directory showed a born-again Christian with his 11-month-old child. He was, in fact, part of a death machine that robbed banks and took lives. Now, you see that candle? You see that? Now, it's not going to relight. The way that candle was blowed out, her life was snuffed out just like that. So, like I said, you just never know. One day you're here, and the next day you're gone. Blowing out the candle and the rest of Maddox's Hellfire and Brimstone sermon didn't go over too well with the pastor or community members here at Riverside Baptist, but police think it may have served a purpose. Who would suspect this God-fearing man to be a bank robber and a murderer? Maddox may have been using religion the way he and his partner used automatic weapons. Somebody had to stop him. Bill had, was a Christian. And God only lets you go so far. And then if you don't stop, he's going to bring you down. And he brought Bill down. In the early 1970s, Maddox met the man he would die with, Michael Platt. They met at jump school in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. The two became inseparable. For a while, they worked as military police together. Off-duty, they started their life of crime. They had planned or discussed planning uh, to do uh, uh, rip-offs of drug dealers to, uh, one, take the money from these undeserving people and uh, to use the money to start their own uh, investigative agency. Maddox's military photo shows a skinny Ohio kid who had already served time in the Marine Corps. Platt's only military photo on file is a negative image, fitting for a man who would use his military training to turn a South Jade street into a killing field. After the service, Maddox moved back to Ohio where his wife was the victim of a brutal knife attack murder. Maddox, awarded a quarter of a million dollars insurance, was the prime suspect. Cleared later, Maddox came to Florida to join up with his old military buddy, Michael Platt, in the lawn care business. If I had stayed here, it's a possibility I could have been dead. <laughs> you talk about something scaring you, it really does. By the time Maddox's wife walked out on him, he and Michael Platt were already doing robberies, and in the case of two men, murders for their cars. Emilio Brielle was the first victim at a South Dade rock pit. Jose Colazzo would have been the second. Colazzo target shooting at the rock pit became Platt and Maddox's target. He survived three gunshot wounds from them, and walked a mile and a half to safety after faking death. Yeah, the way the guy shot me, he executed me. Cold-blooded murder. Well, I started praying, and I remember my, my son, Alex, he gave me uh, the strength and my wife to get out. I really didn't want to die, you know. 
Colazzo offered Metro Robbery Police their first composite of the two bank robbers. Colazzo's black Monte Carlo would be the one FBI agents found them in on April 11, 1986. It's a black Monte Carlo, two males in it, NTJ891. Ben mentioned there won't be any trial in this situation. So, I mean, we knew that, uh, you know, if and when we did confront these fellows, that it was going to be, you know, a bad situation. The day he died, William Russell Maddox looked like something out of a bad Western movie. Drooping mustache, red bandana, gloves on both hands. His magnum strapped to his shoulder. He either lost his nerve or was injured early. He fired only one shotgun blast, hitting no one. We can't even begin to comprehend what happened. I think his mind snapped. Platt played executioner that morning, cutting down agents in the path of his Ruger Mini-14 semi-automatic rifle. He wore cut-off shorts and running shoes to his death. It came shortly after 9.30 under a bottle brush tree on a sunny land street. What about the agents who survived? They're sharing their story to help other officers who may someday face similar situations. They're getting on with their lives, but the scars remain. In the years since the shootout, one of the agents has left Miami. Another is going to leave the FBI in the fall to practice law, and a third may be forced to retire because of his disabilities. While the shootout certainly changed all these agents' lives, it did not stop them from living. In fact, it made them that much stronger. Their pain has become their teacher, their wounds badges of courage, and their lives living examples of how one can conquer adversity. When FBI agent Ed Morales faced death a year ago in the Sunnyland shootout, he didn't know he was to bring a new life into the world as well. While recovering from his wounds in a hospital, his wife Liz, herself an FBI agent, found out she would have a baby. Christian came two days after Christmas. Morales calls him Spike. It's a reminder of uh, all the good uh, things there are in life. It's, it's a good reason. That's another good reason to stay alive, you know, <laughs> and enjoy life. On this spot, Agent Gordon McNeil lay paralyzed from a high-powered bullet to his neck. He would have died in five minutes if rescue hadn't arrived. It would be months before he could walk again. He's still without feeling from the chest down. It's all gravy from here on in because there's no reason why I should be, uh, why I should be sitting here today. So probably I look at each day, uh, with probably a little more joy uh, than I did prior to April the 11th, and you, you realize uh, how tenuous life can be and how quickly you can lose it. Agent John Hanlon was shot four times, once at point-blank range. His wounds would be the quickest to heal. He's already back to work, testifying in court. We've got to get on with our lives. You know, we've got to get on and, and uh, 
do some other things and keep growing and, and uh, there's nothing worse than you got to watch out for old street guys like myself. You've become a dinosaur. The recovery of these agents is a tribute to the human spirit. Their families played an important role. Agent Liz Morales heard about the shooting on her FBI radio and drove to the scene. And I was walking up behind uh, Gordon McNeil's car and that's when I saw his jacket on the ground, a bloody mess and a shotgun next to it and uh, I think that's got to be the closest I've ever come to imitating somebody on TV in one of these old-fashioned movies for the lady's fate. She's the girl we've been telling you about who's been so brave. She's got, a, she's got a tissue expander up in her scalp like the one you have in your arm and she's been, she's been very brave about this. So we, we've been telling her about you. Braver than me. Right? <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> it was nice, nice meeting you, Maria. Brave in different ways. Agent Ed Morales still must undergo a series of operations. A blast from his semi-automatic rifle blew out his forearm. For a while, amputation was a possibility. A balloon implant in his arm now stretches the skin to eventually cover the scar. The balloon must be inflated periodically. Morales' sense of humor gets him through. Can you feel it? Mama. <laughs> I don't know. Maria is a brave girl, so uh, I have to follow suit. He's, he's biting the bullet. Yes. <laughs> One month before the shooting, Morales fainted when a doctor's needle took blood. Ah. Okay, is that it? That's it. Okay. Even heroes have their fears, too. Agent Gordon McNeil's recovery is a miracle. At first, doctors didn't think he'd live, never mind being able to walk again. But his determination has brought him this far. Long hours of therapy are almost a daily routine. During his 21 years as an FBI agent, McNeil kept fit with weights and running marathons. 60 bullet fragments still pepper his spine, but his muscle helped slow the bullet down and save his life. The morning before the shootout, his teenage daughter gave him some advice. Well, she just kind of laughed and she said, hey, Dad, don't get shot. I'm glad it's behind us, and most of all, I'm glad that Gordon's doing as well as he is. I love his job. I think it's so cool. All my friends think he's so awesome and so everybody thinks he's so cool and I like I want him to keep keep it up. But injuries have forced the awesome agent to give up street work. So too has Ed Morales. After seven operations his arm has healed well, but not well enough to shoot. It's been said of Morales what he did that day you can't teach. But that's exactly what he's doing now, teaching new agents at the FBI Academy. It can be uh, extremely serious on the street, and I hope uh, that by my example, uh, they can take the training as serious as possible. Agent Hanlon says his therapy has been testifying in court. Next year, he'll be asking the questions when he leaves the bureau to practice law. But for all these men, nothing will replace being a street agent, even though the streets took the lives of two of their comrades. The shootout has speeded up changes in the FBI's weapons policy. A look at that and other lessons learned at Sunnyland when we come back.
What changes did that day at Sunnyland make? For one thing, the FBI has already changed its weapons policy to give agents a better chance to match the firepower they may meet on these streets. For another thing, the public now has a greater appreciation for the sacrifices law enforcement officers are willing to make. Freeze! FBI, you're under arrest! Local police do more felony car stops than FBI agents. But after the Sunnyland shootout, the FBI is taking this procedure deadly serious. The FBI wants its new agents to know that some suspects will come out of their cars shooting. Shooting from cars, getting out of a car quickly with a weapon, and so forth. And these agents uh, have helped us uh, design and uh, monitor uh, the particular new judgmental shooting courses that we've adopted since the shooting incident. One of the questions most asked after the shootout were the agents outgunned that day. FBI agents fired about 80 shots, the bank robbers half that. Both sides lost two men. Michael Platt was armed with a Ruger Mini-14. It holds a 30-round clip and shoots semi-automatic. All the agents who were either shot or wounded that day were hit with this rifle. Two agents with revolvers were shot while trying to reload their handguns. One recalls the horror of blood from a hand wound falling into the cylinder while trying to reload. Both say a semi-automatic handgun like the ones agents Grogan and Dove had that day would have kept them in the fight longer. But after you run around a car and you're already hit and you're disabled in your hand and you're expecting the individual to come around the front of the car on you and pop you a couple more times, a lot of things are going through your mind and a lot of quick decisions you have to make. How many rounds are you going to try and get into your gun? One, two, three, four rounds. But I was down in a situation where I had to be loading this pistol and I couldn't be looking and you're hearing all this noise and I'm telling you, I never got so scared in my life. Since the shootout, the FBI has changed its handgun policy. It will now allow all agents to carry semi-automatics while on duty. We don't want to uh, have uh, excessive firepower uh, brought to bear in every situation, but we do want to have it available for, uh, and readily available for a situation such as the Miami incident. The debate over using semi-automatics has hit local law enforcement as well. One officer was killed during the Palm Bay massacre while reloading his gun. Palm Bay police are now going to semi-automatics. In Miami, the trend is the same. Miami police have been studying an Austrian handgun, the Glock. It carries an 18-round clip. It reloads in seconds. Miami is going to be among a growing number of local police departments that will allow semi-automatics. Other changes in the FBI since the shootout include a mandate that agents wear bulletproof vests during dangerous assignments. Gordon McNeil was the only one wearing a vest that day. The bullet entered his back above the vest line. But it wouldn't have made a difference. Platt's high-power Ruger Mini-14 would have pierced a vest through and through. The surviving agents and local investigators have been active in helping others learn from the FBI shootout. After a session with the top brass of the Secret Service, agents McNeil and Morales met President Reagan at the White House. With them was Metro Homicide Detective Dave Rivers. If you listen in the background, you'll hear gunfire. Now, on the raw audio tape, I timed three minutes and 20 seconds of gunfire. Rivers has made it a personal mission to go around the country teaching local law enforcement officers about the shootout. The investigator has even gone to Canada with his seminar. 
uh, if we can all benefit from it, then the sacrifices made by uh, Ben Grogan and Jerry Dove will be worth it, as well as the sacrifices that the fellows that got wounded went through. We must go on from here with the difficult task shared by us all, but remembering always the ultimate sacrifice they made for the cause of freedom. May they rest in peace. Memorial services like this one for law enforcement officers who died in the line of duty are some of the toughest moments for surviving agents. They speak in honor of their fallen comrades. They speak so others appreciate the ultimate sacrifice. The wounded agents themselves have been honored. Last year, Ed Morales was named Officer of the Year by the nation's police chiefs. But the agents find it hard to accept these honors. Knowing that agents Grogan and Dove won't be there, to share it with them. If uh, Ben could have picked the way he would have uh, liked to have left this life, as opposed to growing old and infirm and wheelchair and so forth, uh, that Ben would have picked uh, the way he went out on April the 11th. Do you have that feeling yourself? <clears throat> It's a difficult decision, but I guess if I had a if I had a choice and I knew I was going to go, uh, I would have probably picked the same way. If if my dad didn't care, he wouldn't have gone out. He wouldn't if if he didn't really want to stop these guys from from hurting our community more. Then you know he wouldn't have gone out there, but he did. And then you know he he fought for us, and I hope people respect that. Can we be assured that we won't see a repeat of that bloody shootout here in Sunnyland? Unfortunately not. Can we be assured that we won't see people like Platt and Maddox surface again? The answer to that, definitely not. We've lost agents Grogan and Dove and have seen agents Morales, McNeil and Hanlon severely wounded. But one thing we can be assured of is that people of their caliber will replace them. Because that's the nature of these kinds of law enforcement officers who make uncommon valor a common virtue. I'm Robert Gilmartin. Good night. But we all understand that when you accept the responsibility, you stick with it no matter what the cost. And sometimes, like yesterday, it can be very expensive. Our community is now a better place because of what they did and a lesser place because of what was done to them. That's the price of war.